You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. But you need to remain well established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, became a servant of this good news. So today, uh, in case you haven't figured it out yet, we'll be talking about peace. Peace. Uh, I, I had to say that. I'm sorry. Uh, peace for the world. So on that note, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church, um, for what you're, you're doing and, and each and every person uh, in this place and for those who aren't here this morning, for everyone that, that uh, came through these doors this year, I thank you that they um, encountered you in, in some way, Lord, and, and that you and that seeds were planted in their heart, Lord God. And I pray that you would continue to, to uh, um, influence those seeds, Lord, help them to grow and, and flourish, Lord. And, and, I, and I pray that for this church as well, that you would continue to help us grow and flourish as a church. And as we, as we finish 2017, as we move into to the, the new year, Lord God, I pray that you would continue, continue to do new things and, and uh, greater things in this place, Lord God, and in our hearts, and that we would uh, just mature and grow in who you've called us to be, Lord God, that we would, we would seek to follow you uh, in a greater way, Lord God, and that um, um, we would be lights to this city in, in a greater way next year. Uh, as, as we grow, Lord. And, and I thank you for this morning that we can gather together here. We can dig into your word, which is alive. And that I pray that, just as Tim prayed, that, that, that it would just affect us deeply and that you would write it on our hearts, Lord God, and that we would be changed by it. And um, yeah, as we, especially as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, the incarnation, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And um, yeah, I thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. And we give all the glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's say you find yourself watching the Miss America competition or, or some other beauty pageant, right? First of all, I'm sorry you got stuck watching that. And uh, secondly, why would you subject yourself to that? Uh, but anyways, as you're watching this Amer- Miss America competition, it gets to the part where, where, where they get interviewed uh, I don't know what that's called. It's got, it's got to be called something. But they get interviewed, and, then, and the host will ask them something like, you know, what does our society need in order to make the world a better place? And we all know the answer that's coming, right, uh, from at least one or two of the contestants, stereotypical answer, but one that, that happens all the time. It's a, it's a true stereotype. And uh, we know that the answer from at least one or two of them is going to be something like, well, I think if we could just have the world peace then the Americas, I mean the world, would, would be a better place, right? It's always world peace. And uh, is there, do you have the graphic? Yes. That's from Miss Congeniality because they totally played on that stereotype. But that's basically what it's like, right? What is the one, most important thing our society needs? Uh, world peace. Um, and, of course, upon hearing that, you know, we roll our eyes, right? And we laugh at that. Because we know that contestants probably don't care a lick about world peace. They just want to win this competition. Um, but I think deep down we also kind of roll our eyes at this and wave it off. Because in reality, the notion of world peace kind of seems a little bit ludicrous. right? The possibility of it just seems a little bit ludicrous. 
Because if we, if we think about it, the world is not even close to being a peaceful place. From politics to wars to the environment to message boards on the internet to natural disasters to, to poverty to violence to, to mass shootings to the way humans treat each other at the mall. Peace is a rare commodity in our world. It's a rare sight. It's, it's almost, you could almost say it's a, it's a myth that you could only even come close to believing if you were high as a kite in the 60s, right? No peace movement has even come close to accomplishing this idea of world peace, especially the, the hippie one. Conflict in this world is consistent as long as humans roam the earth. And that sounds fatalist, but it's not. Just wait till later. But we, we see conflict throughout the world. Just look at the, the Middle East right now. Right? There is no peace in the Middle East. And I should note that that's as the prophets foretold, right? So we, that's to be expected. But we see that for thousands of years, there's been conflict. There's been you know, terrorists, religious wars, political squabbles over oil and land. Even seasons of ceasefires have been shaky at best. Especially now with the U.S. moving their embassy to Jerusalem. That's caused a big deal in the Middle East. Palestine is getting up in arms again. But it's not just humans. right? We see the whole earth itself isn't at peace either. right? Hurricanes, floods, volcanoes. Earthquakes, global warming, Lethbridge wind. Like, same category. When, right? So when we actually think about it, or just turn on the news for 15 minutes, peace on earth, as we sing it in the carols at Christmas, feels like, if anything, just wishful thinking. And so I think that in the same way we roll our eyes at the Miss America contestants' idea of world peace, it's easy to read about how Jesus came to bring us peace on earth and think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, sure. That's a well-meaning suggestion, full of good intentions, but that's as far as it seems to get. It's just, you know, a nice idea. I read a quote from a Jewish religion professor the other day, and I, I couldn't find it to find out her name. So I apologize, but it's a real quote. It's a real thing that I read. Uh, so it's not quote verbatim either. But it was about why she doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. She, and she teaches religion. She teaches Old Testament, New Testament, and all that kind of stuff. So people are wondering, like, why, how come you don't believe he's the Messiah? And she answered that it's because she looks out the window and sees all the chaos and sees all the brokenness and oppression, the opposite of peace. And so to her, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace was supposed to come and remove all this chaos. The world, so the world's brokenness is proof in her mind that the Messiah hasn't come yet. Even at the end of Jesus' ministry, the disciples still didn't quite understand this concept either. They're kind of confused about how they can know and experience Christ, but yet the world won't experience him in the same way. And so one of them, who has the unfortunate uh, curse of having the same name as Judas, Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, uh, speaking of not having any peace in your life, right? Having the same name as Judas, that'd be terrible. Um, anyways, so now he's known as Judas, brackets, not Iscariot, because, you know, that's in the Bible, so that's what he's known as now. Not, not that guy. 
the, the other guy, the, the good one. Anyways, Ju- this Judas asked Jesus about this, this conf- confusing idea that they can, they can know this Jesus and the world won't know him the same way. And part of Jesus' answer to the disciples is this, John 14, 1427. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the peace that we celebrate at the birth of Christ every year, this peace that the angels proclaim to the shepherds on that first Christmas day is, is legit. It's real. It's true. It's a peace that gives us comfort, removes our fear. But we have to understand that it's not exactly what we tend to think it is or what we expect it to be. Jesus tells us here that the kind of peace he gives to us is not the kind of peace that the world could ever muster up or that the world could even fully measure. In truth, just just like the concepts of hope, love, and joy that we've already discussed over this Advent season, just like those things, this peace actually goes much deeper and is more eternal. So we have to ask, what is this peace then? And Joel, R. Beek, and William Bokestein, I'm saying that wrong, I'm sure, but in their book, Why Christ Came, 31 Meditations on the Incarnation, they write this. From the Greek word, Irene, I'm probably saying that wrong too, right, Peter? Irene? Thank you. He actually studied Greek. Uh, we get the word irenic. I'm probably saying that wrong too, right? <laughs> Anyways, from the Greek word, Irene, we get the word irenic, which refers to peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. These words denote not only cessation of strife and the calm that follows, but also a wholeness and completeness that are found in Christ alone. So we often think of peace as the cessation of strife, right? The absence of conflict. But it also has a deeper meaning to it, a meaning that it's wholeness and completeness. And we see glimpses and seasons of wholeness and completeness in the Old Testament. The times where Israel is restored as a nation to God. The times where, there's, where there aren't any wars and they're, they're faithful to God. And when the temple is finished by Solomon, it's referred to in the Old Testament as being in a state of shalom. Of wholeness and completeness. But these moments of this, this peace are temporary. And they're actually pointing us to a greater and deeper wholeness and completeness that only Jesus can give. And Jesus, as, as most of us know, he doesn't just treat the symptoms. Jesus, and he, it, Jesus didn't come to just bring temporary solutions to eternal problems. Instead, he always cuts to the depth and root of each problem so he can pull it out by the root. So before we talk about peace, we need to get to the root of the chaos. And James 4, 1 to 4, gives us a clue here. I'm going to drink some water first, though. It's dry today. So the root of the chaos, James 4, 1 to 4. It says, what is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Why isn't there any peace? Well, don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? 
You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's, becomes God's enemy. So what, why can't we ever manage to have peace in the world? Because of pride, because of envy, because of intentions rooted in selfish ambition with little care for our fellow man. In other words, our lack of outward peace in the world is rooted in the lack of inward peace that, that we carry in our hearts. Our sinful nature, the root of chaos in us and in the world is our enmity with God. Our rebellion, our hostility towards God. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. On the other end, though, speaking of the Garden of Eden, shalom, peace, is only found in the presence of God. So to know this peace, we need to be reconciled with God. And in order, in order for that to happen, we need to be made holy as he is holy. Our sin needs to be forgiven and removed. We need to be covered in righteousness. And Jesus came into creation to accomplish this for us. Colossians 1, 19 to 22. We'll read that again. It says, Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him. And he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. Because once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, without blame. You see, the peace that Jesus brings to us, first and foremost, is reconciliation with God. That means that our relationship and our status with God has been restored. Jesus' death satisfied the punishment of our sin, removed the barrier of hostility between us and God. Right? The curtain in the temple was split in two. And now covered in his righteousness, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. Which means the cross transitions us from enemy to friend, from orphan to child, from sinner to saint, from broken to restored, from godless to being with God. Ephesians 2, 17 to 18 says, When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. The good news of peace is that we both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles there. Those who are close to God and those who are far away. Everyone who believes in Jesus, from the greatest sinner to, to, to the most righteous, all who believe in Jesus by faith can be restored and forgiven in Christ. And this is the foundation of peace. When the Bible talks about peace. This is primarily what it's talking about. 
when the rebellion when the rebellion with God is finally over and we can rest in his grace and his mercy and in his presence. Joseph Thayer writes, peace is a conception distinctly peculiar to Christianity. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. So first of all, peace in Christ is the restoration of our relationship with God, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. That's peace, the foundation of our peace. But then secondly, it's a peace that we can experience and carry with us in our lives. And this is important, especially and specifically because we still live in this broken world. A world that may even turn against us at times. Wayne Field writes, True peace exists within a soul that is right with God, despite what is happening in the world. In fact, when we make our peace with God, we invite conflict with the world into our lives. That's because peace with God involves opposition to Satan and his work in the world. You can't have it both ways. If we want true peace, we must make our peace with God, not with the world. And this is what Jesus means when he, when he tells his disciples during his ministry that he didn't come to bring peace on earth, but to bring a sword. We often like read that and we're like, what? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But it, and it's often misinterpreted as a call to violence. It's not a call to violence. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that believing in him and, and knowing this eternal peace with God will in turn bring temporary conflict with the world. We cannot be friends with both in that way. So the question then is, how can, how can we maintain this peace when the world around us is anything but? We have this peace, but there's anxieties, there's pressures, there's conflict. How can, we, how can we keep this peace and maintain this peace and live in this peace? Paul gives us the method here in Philippians 4, 6-9, when he says, Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise, practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. So one of the reasons that we celebrate Advent, the Advent season is to do just that, right? to practice exactly what Paul is saying here, to think on what is excellent and what is true and what is noble, what is holy and just and lovely and pure and worthy of praise. Right? Advent reminds us that all those things are wrapped up and packaged for us by God in a person, fully God and yet fully man, who came to us lying in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. In Jesus Christ, he came into a world of chaos to bring us peace. Which means that as we, as we set our faith and our trust in him, 
as we lay our sin and burdens down at his feet and, and present to him our worries and our anxieties in prayer, as we live according to his word, as we study his word, as we consider his works and, and the miracle of not only his birth, but his death and his resurrection, and the love with which he loved us, as we ponder with awe and gratitude at his grace and his salvation. In other words, as we look to Jesus, this peace that's beyond understanding, beyond comprehension, is ours. It's with us, keeping our minds and hearts safe. So whenever we're feeling overwhelmed or, or scared or frustrated or filled with anxiety and worry and, and, and depression, turn to Jesus. Think on who he is and what he's done. Cast all your cares on him, and he will give you peace. And you might think, well, that's nice and all, but feeling at peace and, and knowing that, you know, there's eternal peace waiting for me in heaven, that doesn't solve the problems that are giving me anxiety and fear. Right? Feeling at peace with God doesn't pay the bills. Feeling at peace with God doesn't write my exams for me. which is true. But the peace of Christ gives us perspective, right? It, it brings us to a place of clarity where he can work in and through us, where we're reminded of what truly matters. It brings us to a place where we're not making rash decisions from places of fear and hurt. And we all know those types of decisions don't go very well. It's a peace that guards our hearts and points us to, to who our strength is, who our comfort is, who our joy is, who our hope is. As I was writing this, I was reminded about an experience that I had a couple months ago. I was uh, driving my kids to school, like I do most mornings, and they were actually behaving. They weren't poking each other or bugging each other for once. I wasn't like, boys, you know? It was, it was, everything was feeling pretty chill on the way to school and, and, and pretty relaxed in the car, peaceful even, serene. But then all of a sudden, for no reason in particular, I don't, I don't know if this has happened to any of you, but for no reason in particular, my mind started to think on things that were not so pleasant. Things that started to make me feel angry and furious, and anxious. Hurtful things that have been, like all these things flooded in at once. Hurtful things that have been said against me in the past. Friends I've let down. Mistakes I've made. Frustrations I've been experiencing. Thoughts of, thoughts of people that I knew, people in the church that, that, that were hurting or struggling. Sins I've, I've committed that made me feel unworthy, coupled with that constant nagging feeling that, I, that, that I'm not good enough as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a Christian. All these, all these thoughts and more like it just started to, to bubble up like a volcano inside me. And all of this happened in mere seconds. You know, as I'm driving down the road. And it's hard to explain, but my blood was boiling. I wanted to, to lash out, and, and, I, and I started to be tempted to think hateful things about, about others and, and, and about myself. And when I look back on it, I'm, I'm convinced 
It was a spiritual attack. Especially because in that very moment that I was sure to explode, man, boys had no clue, right? They're sitting in the back seat while this is going on. But in that moment, I was sure to explode and give in to the anger and hopelessness of it all. I merely called out to Jesus. And it wasn't this audible call. It was just this desperate call within my spirit, just a small heart's cry. And instantly, what felt like a river of peace, as it's described in Isaiah 66, just washed over me. A river that washed away my anger and guilt and despair. You know, like a, like a Chinook on a, on a cold winter's day. Like light pouring out over my darkness. Peace. Beyond understanding. Peace that broke into the midst of my chaos. And just brought me to a place of just calm, knowing that Jesus is with me. And it doesn't always go like that, or it doesn't always feel like that, but in that moment, it did. My mind and my heart were kept safe in Jesus at a time when it felt like I was being overrun, at a time when I felt like I was being overwhelmed. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, this peace I give you and leave with you. Why? So that your hearts may not be troubled. So that your hearts may not be afraid. Because yes, Jesus knew that this world would be full of hardships and and chaos and anxieties and worries and and sadness. That's why he gives gives and leaves his peace with us to strengthen us and, and comfort us as we live in this world and as we follow him in this world. As it says in Isaiah 9, as well, Jesus is the Prince of Peace and of his government and of his peace there shall be no end we started advent with that passage isaiah 9 and if you notice this morning we we ended advent with that passage isaiah 9 of his government and of his peace there shall be no end his rule never ends he's the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega and if his rule never ends, our peace in him can never end. It cannot be stolen from us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. That is until he returns again, and we know his peace in full. Right now we know it in part, but when he returns again, we'll know it in full. Because on that day, everything will become shalom. Heaven and earth will be restored. The established kingdom of God will be revealed and, and, and all, the, we, all will be made right again in the presence of God. And on that note, we're going to change gears a bit because until that day, we need to realize that it's God's people, the church, that have been established in his peace to be the expression and vehicle of that peace on earth. And granted, historically, the church has, has done some, like many good things in that regard, but has also had many regrettable moments where we've done a terrible job at being this peace on earth. Completely ignoring clearly outlined passages of scripture about this. 
But we today, we, we have a chance to make amends, to be, to be true ambassadors of Christ as peacemakers in the world. And the Bible tells us many ways in which we, we're called to do that. And um, I'm not going to get too in-depth here this morning when I'm talking about a broad subject like peace. I can only paint broad strokes. But I want to go through a couple of the ways we're called to proclaim the peace of God in this world, especially as it pertains to uh, our serious theme this Advent, which is for the world, this peace for the world. Because while the world doesn't know this peace, and while the world doesn't understand it, it longs for it. it. The world wants peace. No one enjoys the chaos. And we see the world, you know, the world tries to pursue peace through war, through contracts, right? Contractual agreements that force peace, through passivity movements, through laws and punishments, through social pressures, through meditation and stuff like that. The world's trying to find peace. But these are just these things that they try, they're just treating the symptoms, just trying to control the chaos. But it's not the solution. They're not treating the problem. And so they'll never arrive at peace without, first of all, knowing and following the source of peace. And that's why it's our task, in the strength of God, who works in and through us, as the church, the body of Christ, to present the source of peace to the world, to show them Jesus. So how do we do that? I have two points this morning in that regard. The first one is we display Christ's peace on earth by pursuing peace within the church. It starts with us. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort Since we've been given peace with God through Jesus, it only makes sense that we should have peace with everyone else who believes in Jesus as well. Not only does that make sense, but it's how it's supposed to be. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Our bond with Christ is directly correlated to our bond with one another. When I look around this room, I see people that are extremely different than me people that probably I wouldn't be friends with, right? Just naturally. But we're together. What's our bond? The peace we have in Jesus Christ. It's not an insult to anyone. (laughs) Usually, anyways. You know what I mean. So our bond with Christ is, is directly correlated to our bond with one another, right? We're, we're, we're saved into the same kingdom, into the same family of God, filled with the same spirit, born again through Christ, into the same hope. So strengthening that bond should be our pursuit. And yes, as we, as we read in James 4 earlier, our human nature often rears its ugly head and, and we hurt one another or we judge one another wrongly, or we lie to one another, or we step over one another in order to elevate ourselves. And that happens 
within the body sometimes. But that's not who we're called to be. And there's repentance and forgiveness for those things. Again, remember Solomon? He called the restoration of the temple shalom, a completeness, a wholeness. And as Christians, as the body of Christ, we're the new temple of God. And we should pursue that shalom as well. And this is important because when we're at peace with one another, that's a testimony to the world. When we're at peace with one another, we're more effective as we go into the world. Matthew 5, 9 sums it up perfectly. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The evidence that we're part of God's family, that we're children of God, is our pursuit of peace. And besides, how can we be a vehicle of peace in the world if we first can't get our own house straightened up? Which leads to the second point. We display Christ's peace on earth by seeking peace with our fellow man. Hebrews 12:14 says, "Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord." So first I want to clarify, when it says strive for peace with everyone, it doesn't mean that we become friends with the world in the same way that James 4 warns us against, where we're influenced by the world. But rather, we need to continually pursue that holiness, being set apart to God, but yet living in the world, befriending the world in the way that Jesus befriended sinners. And ultimately what it means then is that as long as it doesn't conflict with our faith and mission, we're to act peaceably. We're to act as peacemakers in the world, wherever possible, even with those we disagree with, even with our enemies. And not just to convert them either, but because they're made in the image of God. And because we're called to live in peace with one another. For the glory of God. And yeah, the reality is that it's not always possible. Again, even just following Jesus and standing firm in our faith can put us at odds with the world. But that shouldn't stop us, though, because this is a a high calling. We need to realize that when we seek peace with the world, in a way we're calling the world to come into peace with the one who we represent. We're inviting the world to see and know the true and restorative peace that's available in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 17-21. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, or church in Corinth, and he says this, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's our peace, right? And the next thing, who gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us now with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. 
So we've been reconciled to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And now as representatives of, representatives of him, we're called to persuade others to know that peace. It makes sense. It's pretty straightforward. Which means that whenever possible, we're called and strengthened, we're filled with the Holy Spirit to bring peace, even in places where it doesn't always seem to belong, where it doesn't always seem possible even. We're called to bring the grace and love of Jesus to sinful and broken hearts, to broken homes, to our neighbors who are a different religion than us. We're called to bring peace in in conflicts at work, to help mend arguments among friends, to, to stand against broken social systems and stand alongside victims of abuse and racism and assault and slavery, to bring peace by forgiving others who've hurt us. And also to bring peace by apologizing and seeking reconciliation with others when we mess up. And this next part seems obvious, but I'll say it anyway. To not live lives where we're stirring up drama and accusation. No matter how tempting it may seem. No matter what so-and-so said about you. But instead to live lives of goodwill toward men. And there are so many ways and opportunities to be, to be harbingers of peace in this broken world. So I want to encourage each of you to be continually asking God to open your eyes to these opportunities in the same way that we bring joy and hope and love to, to continually ask God to, to, to show you and open your eyes to these opportunities that he's, that he's giving you that are right in front of you. And also for him to give you the boldness and humility to be peacemakers in his name. And let's be honest, we also need to be asking God to continually keep us from the temptation of contributing to the chaos too. And we can't do that on our own. That's why the fruit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. We need the Spirit to keep us established in this. As Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This is the call for for all of us, for the body of Christ, for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. For it to be the driving force, the foundation for the way we live in this world. And this glorifies God. And that leads me to the passage that I want to end this message with a passage that reminds us that, that our source of joy in this life, the thing that can turn any horrible day a day to rejoice in, the thing that keeps us from evil and draws us to do good, this thing above anything else is the peace that we've been given in Christ. First Peter three ten to 12 says, For whoever desires to love life, we all desire to love life, I think, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And on that note, let's pray. Jesus, We seek you. 
and we pursue you because we acknowledge and we know that you are our peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the light in this darkness, Lord. Lord, we remember at Christmas that though we can't achieve that peace on our own, Lord, you came into this world. You came into this chaos, this brokenness, to bring us this peace. And Lord, we can't thank you enough for the forgiveness of sins, for reconciling us with the Father. That we can, we can stand and live in his presence. That we have the strength and comfort to, to endure all things in this world because we're covered in your peace. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be anxious. Because we know that you've got us covered. That you've already won. So Jesus, we thank you. We glorify your name. And I pray for, for anyone here this morning that isn't feeling this, this peace. Father, that you would draw them into your presence through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. That you would draw them into your presence, that they would believe in, in you, they would know you and trust in you this morning. And that you would just wash over them with your peace and your mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.